Welcome to Accelerate, the podcast about the startup world. On this podcast, we dive into the depths of different issues surrounding the entrepreneurial journey. From the mountains of investing to the valleys of team building, we strive to shed light on the unknown, the unnerving, and the undiscussed. We all have worked at our accelerator, New Chip, for some time now and straddle the line between the investor, the companies, and the customers. We bring on guests from all throughout the ecosystem to help get more clarity on what's going on here so that you can understand how to approach whatever role you have with new perspectives. Today's first guest is Noah Kagan. Noah has had an interesting and vast career that has led him today to being Chief Sumo of Sumo Group. Noah specializes in digital marketing, but is also passionate about tacos, chess, entrepreneurship in general, and giving business advice on his podcast, YouTube channel, and blog. New Chip's Accelerator Director, Armando Vera Carvajal, got the chance to talk to Noah about finding what you love, what you're good at, and what you can make money with. Please, without further ado, let me introduce Noah Kagan, founder and chief sumo at AppSumo. Noah, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are so fortunate that our timelines aligned so that you could join us today. Um, we're really grateful for the time that you're giving our accelerator companies and investors, as well as the global startup ecosystem. Um, I've personally followed your trajectory over the past few years and have been very impressed, to say the least, Thanks, by, yeah, 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 by your many accomplishments in the startup world. Um, before we dive in into the conversation, I'd love to share a quick bio on who you are to share some context with our global audience. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Noah is the taco-loving, I love tacos, taco-loving chief sumo at the eight-figure app sumo.com, uh, the number one site online for software deals for entrepreneurs. Before AppSumo, uh, Noah was employee number 30, that's three zero at Facebook, reporting directly to none other than Mark Zuckerberg. Um, also, bonus points for him being number four at mint.com, was acquired by Intuit. Um, currently, Noah is focused on helping entrepreneurs overcome fear and find success on their business journey at youtube.com uh, slash okdork. Um, please subscribe if you aren't already following him. He also has an amazing, amazing podcast, Noah Kagan Presents. Um, very, very happy to have you here today, Noah. I'm going to start this conversation with a guiding question and, and then let you take the mic. Now, we want to lift the veil of glamour, of success that so often shrouds that challenging reality that is entrepreneurship. Uh, the first point that I wanted to cover is that launching a startup, launching a company can, that can maybe one day change the world entails building a brand, not just putting out a product. Um, and in your case, you experienced firsthand Facebook's transformation from a 30-person company to a 100-plus enterprise. Um, you were also one of the first people at Mint. Um, so, you know, these are both globally recognized brands with secular reach, impressive financial returns. But before they reached their market leadership, they started pretty small as startups. Totally. Tell us, what was your experience like at both places? Uh, it's very broad. Thank you for having me. What is up all my new chip people? Uh, I'm rooting for you. And, and one thing I want to say for being an entrepreneurship, I think what gets missed out is it all starts with one customer. 
that's it. Facebook had one advertiser. Mint had a, one user. Every business, Microsoft, Amazon, it starts with one customer. And I, I think people lose sight of that. And some of the times in entrepreneurship, especially recently, I, a lot of times I just go back and help one person. Uh, and so those experiences, I think what's really interesting career-wise for myself or just entrepreneurship-wise is what are the tidal waves that are happening and how do you get your surfboard in there? And I think I've done a really good job in my career finding the waves that I just enjoyed. And I think that that's missed in entrepreneurship, which is, hell, oh, that's an opportunity. Let me go copy now, do a delivery gig business. It's like, well, do you really care about that? Uh, and so for me, I think with those experiences, it was number one, I, I was following stuff that I was interested in and active, actively uh, passionate about. And secondly, the, the market sizes were gigantic. I mean, personal finance, you care about money. I care about money. It's a, it's a pretty big problem. And the experiences were wild, man. I think if, if you've ever been a part of hyper growth, uh, it's an amazing thing. And I think especially a lot of startups out there, what they struggle with is that they, they're trying to push their ball up the hill. And they're like, hey, you really need the service. And the question is, do they really need it? And I think coronavirus at this time period has been amazing for businesses to say, hey, are you important or not important? And I think what, what I realized being at those two businesses is market size was big, I was interested in it, and people were desperate for what they had. And I think that's something as people are thinking about doing their own businesses, is this something that a specific group of small audience is desperate for? And I think a lot of people miss out on that. One other thing I would say just marketing wise that no one's gonna do it. You're, you're, hopefully you're gonna be the one that'll do it out there. Uh, but the reality is, is that both those businesses we started very niche. And everyone starting out doesn't do it, but maybe one person I'm hoping will be influenced to get it done today, which is at Facebook, they started with Harvard. And at Mint.com, we started with personal finance bloggers. So there's there's a lot of different you know components of being those experiences, but those are some of the highlights. Thank you. I mean that that's amazing. And diving a little bit deeper, um, you've been very open online about your experience, specifically your partying with with Facebook. There's even an article that you wrote titled um, "Why I Got Fired from Facebook: A 100 Million Dollar Lesson." Tell us a little bit more about the events that led to this outcome and why you ultimately think that Facebook made that right decision. And what are the lessons that entrepreneurs can, can derive for their own businesses and their teams? Well, I would fire the weaklings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fire, you, you know, one of the things I think about, um, I think about in work, but I think about in my relationships, I think about my friendships, is what does impressiveness mean to you? And at the end of the day, a, a company is built by two things, software or people. And at some point, you are limited by the quality of the people around you. And at Facebook, I think there's different, you know, at every business, there's different people for different times. And especially if you're just getting started, a lot of, I think I call it, there's three stages of hiring. And, and that was, you know, one of the big takeaways for me. So when you're hiring people, stage one is, do they have a brain? So that's the first one. Stage two is do they have a smart brain? And then stage three is expertise. And that is the evolution of hiring. And I think if people can get better at finding greatness to work with, uh, that's going to separate the companies who are going to do okay versus the companies who are amazing. And so at Facebook, I, you know, I, what, I don't think I was able to scale with that business. I remember we had a meeting. It was, there was 30 people in a meeting that at the company size was 150. 
And in my journal, I was reading it you know, a little while ago and it was like, I can't believe we have so many people here. Why do we need all these people? And I think that was just more about myself. And so I'd, I'd say the advice I'd recommend for everyone out there is just, if you've worked with anybody ever, male, female, animal, whatever it is that you've been impressed with, keep in touch with them. A lot of times if someone's been a good salesperson to me or a good like marketer to me or a good business development person uh, from another business or another startup, I try to think, all right, let me, let me at least file or keep them uh, in contact because you never know the internet is a small world. So I'd say one, build your network and not even build your network, just notice greatness and two, whatever you can do to be around it or work with it uh, and impress yourself and be around impressive people, the better. One thing that you also, that really stands out from your story is that, that transition that Facebook went through that very few people will have a chance to ever experience. And you got to experience that going from 30 to 150 plus as a company. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you would just, you know, zone out in those big group collaboration meetings, all the tracking processes that had to be created to basically scale an organization were just boring. And I, we can all agree that we don't, we don't, we just want to build things. We just want to make things work and, and look great. Tracking them is a very different thing. Um, however, this was a very necessary step in the development of Facebook from basically a small business to the behemoth that it is today. Um, would you share your thoughts on how startup founders should think about the cultural impact that comes with rapid growth and scale, especially when it will affect some of the earliest employees? Well, I think most of the people I'm assuming in the audience are not at hyper growth and they're struggling in my opinion. So in terms of the things around culture and expectations, I think a few of the bigger takeaways that I still, we still use in Sumo group is how big is your vision? Mark's vision in 2005, when I was there, which is now 15 years ago was to connect the whole world. And it's interesting because you will be as big as the vision that you think. And a lot of people are like, ah, oh, we're going to do this thing. It's like, well, all right, that's not very appealing. You know, like we want to be the number one place online to help all entrepreneurs have success, right? At AppSumo. And that's pretty damn big. There's a lot of people who are entrepreneurs who want to be entrepreneurs. And I think a lot of people don't really have as big of visions. But on the flip side of that vision, I also don't think they're solving important enough problems for people. And connecting people turned out to be a very interesting problem that everyone once solved. And so culturally, I think what Mark did was that he convinced a lot of people that this is a big problem. He got people who cared about that problem. And I think what Mark did, and this is something I think about a lot is like, what's the, what's the expectation of your culture? And so with sumo, we call them sumoisms. There's an expectation of excellence. Uh, and so what is it that you stand for in your business? So one of our sumoisms is good versus great. And so thinking about that, it's like, well, what if that's something I think what you have to think about for yourself is, you know, where do you want to go and what are the expectations for how you're going to behave? And for us, it's like, is this something good we're doing or is this something great? And it's a nice way to kind of say, what are the values of your business? One of the things that we've been saying in our company a lot of the times, and I think this is very relevant for anyone in a startup today is what are you going to be number one in the world at? So it's going to be hard to out Facebook, Facebook in the way that the, you know, if you go heads up or out AppSumo and, and do AppSumo. So it's like, well, AppSumo, you know, what can you be number one at? SendFox, number one email marketing tool for content creators. AppSumo, number one site online for software deals. So for you, what is what are you number one at? And I think 
what help what that helps do is figure out who your audience might be and more specifically and that's something that we think about a lot and how do you have an advantage for that and i think a lot of people are just like well i'm going to just compete it's like well why don't you just try to figure out where there's no other competitors yeah that that blue ocean creating that opportunity uh <clears throat> no one noah you uh you've gone through experiences obviously with facebook and mint but now you're with AppSumo. uh you've gained a lot of experience there tell us a little bit more about you know the steps that you took to build AppSumo and also the big why like why after all that you're doing this now so why AppSumo? My original intent of AppSumo was I wanted to make $3,000 a month and then go work on the beaches of Thailand. <laughs> that was my, that's my <laughs> fantasy, man. That was my, and I'm going to go back to Thailand again in, uh, in October. Uh, that's the plan for now. But I think the why, you know, I, a lot of our career is finding the things we don't like to do. Right? I always think of life as a buffet. You're like, ah, oh, let me try that one. Let me a little dab. Like, you know, it's true with business and marketing and, and things of that nature. After trying different jobs, like I interned at Microsoft, I, you know, I worked at a popcorn stand, I worked at Macy's and Bedsheets. Uh, my first job was a cubicle at Intel. I was employee 147-65949. It's my employee badge number. <laughs> and after, you know, maybe 10 years of doing a lot of things I didn't like, I think it led me to what I do like. And what I love is entrepreneurship. I love, I, I don't think I'm going to be the next Elon Musk, but I think I'm going to help teach the person who will be that and show them how to get the first customer or how to do their marketing or how to get that business going. And so I found that I wanted the, I, I got in kind of, I got like the perfect job. My job is the intersection of marketing and technology. And for me with AppSumo, it was, it was kind of identifying, you know, I think business is like, what's, where are you dissatisfied with or what is the opportunity that's not being solved? And so for me, it was like, everyone needs help with marketing. And I think a lot of startups, solve non-critical problems. They're like, oh, let me do this. And it's like, is that really that important? But everyone wants more customers. That is universal. Second thing I was like, this software stuff is getting more popular, like cloud-based software and tools and things like that. And I saw like the daily deal Groupon model as an opportunity there uh, of a new kind of marketing channel. And so I think you kind of have to connect some dots or connect some observations of like, what do you think the future is? Um, and so that, that, that was really like a beautiful thing where like, wow, I can go get the software I want at a discount and then tell other people to go use it and I can get paid for this. Uh, so that's been, that, that was amazing. One, one other thing I would say career wise that I feel blessed about, and I've been reflecting on it a lot recently is who else am I getting to meet in this industry? And I know that was, it was a little surprising. So recently I'm content creating on YouTube. Uh, sharing like how to get started, how to overcome fear, how do we, you know, become an eight figure business and beyond. And I get to meet all these really interesting content creators, like entertainers. And I think when in any of our industries, think about like the people you get to meet. And if maybe the people you meet suck, maybe there's a different type of industry. So for, for me, it was like with AppSumo, I was like, I get to meet the people making MailChimp, making LinkedIn, making FreshBooks, uh, making all these new tools, phone wagon, like, Hopem, uh, Crello, like all these really interesting startups. And now I get to promote them and get paid for that. And so that, that's been a really special part of uh, my career and being a part of AppSumo where uh, basically I get paid to do what I love. And all I have to do is go promote people. That's what I did at Mint. I promoted Mint and I promoted Facebook and I promoted all these things and now it's my job. So I think it's kind of interesting. Like how do you make your job your, uh, 
Or how do you make just the stuff you're interested in? How do you get paid for that? And I think what a lot, I've heard a lot of people do, which disappoints me in startups, they're like, I'm going to do this one thing so I can get money and finally do the thing I really want to do. I'm like, just do the thing you want to do. And that's how you're going to get rich. Thank you. I mean, th that's amazing. And I, that really resonates with me. And um, I hope it resonates with everybody who's watching, investors, entrepreneurs. Uh, Noah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. And your insight has been truly inspirational. Um, for everybody who wants to follow Noah, follow him online check out his his company website appsumo.com yeah if they have a if they have phones like get out your phone right now go to appsumo.com give give your email address and you'll get tools to you know learn and grow how to grow your startup and then make sure to subscribe on youtube noah kagan i'm gonna see you out there please do please do thank you so much noah uh, we look forward to having you here in the future and and thank you again for for coming with us today our next guest is Paul Della Majora, founder and CEO of GoBeep Incorporated and member of the New Chip Accelerator March 2020 cohort. Paul's company specializes in helping consumers share and revoke their personal data with businesses. Today, Paul is here to talk about what it means to be an entrepreneur, his experience in the New Chip Accelerator, and how he plans on changing the world. I'm Paul Della Majora. I'm the founder of GoBeep Incorporated. We're based out of Greenville, South Carolina. And we've been a part of the new chip program since March of 2020. And uh, my company builds marketing promotions and commerce software that allows consumers to share whatever data they want and the power to revoke it and companies to be able to do personalized marketing promotions and, and uh, commerce with them. And where we are right now is uh, when we first joined new chip, we were pre-release, we had completed the majority of our development and we're getting ready to go ahead and do our beta testing and, and move into production. Um, I think, you know, being involved with NewChip, it really did help us avoid some pretty common problems, it turns out, that we would have run into. And as a result, even during this pandemic, we've been able to launch our software and start onboarding our first five customers. Tell me a little bit more about why you picked this specific market and industry. So I've got about 25 or so years experience selling software to the retail and hospitality markets around the world. Most recently with a company called NCR, uh, where some of the largest stores and restaurants were our customers. And so I, I've taken the experience I've had selling to large enterprise customers and even designing software for small businesses to go ahead and, and uh, tackle this market that I know so well. And we decided to start off with wineries and craft breweries because for several reasons. One, it's fun. It's a lot more fun than saying selling to a waffle house, but it also has a very quick sales cycle. So it allows us to prove our product market fit and it allows us to attract talent that want to be in that industry. Tell me about the entrepreneurial path. Cause you mentioned like many decades of experience in the industry. Now you're an entrepreneur. Walk me through what led you to become an entrepreneur and focus on the why. Sure. So I, I have been working in large companies or companies that became large companies most of my career. Uh, companies like Cisco Systems, I was one of the first 1,500 employees. And when I left, I was one in 40,000 employees. And uh, after leaving Cisco in 2003, I actually started my first company. And so that was my first uh, 
venture into entrepreneurialism. It was an electric guitar and bass manufacturing company. And we actually did pretty well. And uh, the business eventually folded. And so that was kind of my on the streets MBA on what not to do when starting your own business. But then I have ever since doing that, I always felt like I had ideas and I had execution experience that was being wasted in these larger companies. I was solving problems that, um, frankly, not many people cared about. Um, the customers cared about it, but the companies maybe didn't care about it. And that's where, for me, to be able to run my own company, to go through all the crazy things you got to go through just to get the things set up and running, that's exciting to me. I love stupid things like setting up your new email or getting your, your, uh, your incorporation to actually designing the product, developing it, marketing it, all the things. I like being able to have a view of what's going on with that and then bringing a team of people in who are just as passionate but also have the freedom of, you know what, we're starting a new company and we all have ownership on it. Very cool. Do you agree that entrepreneurship is something that you can do all alone? Obviously, especially if you're coming from being in a large organization, there's a lot of freedom that comes with it, doing things kind of on your own terms. But oftentimes you see a lot of entrepreneurs, they want to do everything. They want to wear all the hats. Do you agree with that or not? And if so, why not? I disagree with entrepreneurship being something where one person has to wear all the hats. And I think that's something that New Chip has done a good job in helping reinforcing. I am a sole founder, so that was tough. And then I found that I needed to bring people in because I, you, know, you question yourself and you run into problems and there, there are problems that come your way that you have, don't have experience with. And so whether it's through my advisors or whether it's through cohorts in something like the New Chip Accelerator, or whether it's through friends or, or people that I bring on as employees, you cannot go it alone. You're not gonna succeed. Perfect. Um, why did you come to the New Chip Accelerator? I came to the New Chip Accelerator because of two reasons. One, I was looking for an accelerator. I like the idea of short-circuiting learning trial by fire. And, uh, New, new chip, I actually, the, the program looked very interesting to me. The second reason I wanted it was, and this was before COVID hit, but it was a program that was built for teams to be remote from day one. And any other efforts I'd been in through incubators or mentoring myself, and when I had done mentoring to startups previously, that in-person experience is valuable, but actually being able to work with people across the world who either are doing something similar to me or not, that was what appealed to me about what new chip did. Perfect. Um, now, can you just tell me more about how COVID-19 uh, drastically changed the game? And, and I think like giving your perspective, you know, in a mastermind group, you got to see a lot of different entrepreneurs. Maybe talk a little bit about how, you know, what were your goals on New Year's, right, for 2020? How did that change once COVID came? And also, what did you see being in the accelerator? What was the impact of it on other entrepreneurs in the program and how did you, you cope through these months? Yeah, COVID-19 really presented some very interesting challenges. It's the kind of, one of our investors gave the analogy that we built a plane to take off on 9,000 foot runways and COVID-19 turned everything into a 1,000 foot runway and you have a plane that can't take off. So we had to readjust our expectations, not only of the product, 
Uh, turns out our product works well in a pandemic times where businesses are shut because we reach customers wherever they are, not necessarily in the four walls. But we also had to adjust our sales strategy. We can't walk in and, and sell face-to-face. -face, and we have to find out when are people actually checking their emails or looking at social media. So we had to change all of that. And then we also learned that fundraising changed dramatically. Being the March 2020 cohort, we were the first group, I think, within NewChip that uh, kind of went in and the world, you know, the floor dropped out from under us. And you know, we're all kind of looking at each other saying, well, what does this mean? And what I was able to see, there were some companies that didn't fare well. There were some companies that just didn't have the, the runway or the, uh, the ability to go ahead and carry themselves through this. And others who, like us, were going, well, shoot, how is the world changing? What do we do about this? And I think what we learned is that the investment landscape has changed. The expectations of investors has changed. It's less about giant hockey sticks, at least for the next year and a half, and more about show us how you can grow your business and break even. And then show us how you can get the hockey stick. Show us you can stay alive. So those are some things that changed. But I think what was really nice about my group in New Chip was those first month, month and a half, were really scary. It's like, what the hell did we do? Why did we get ourselves into this? And you know, here we are trying to launch products and raise money when uh, people can't even leave their houses. And ultimately, uh, I think if you look at the, the, um, the mastermind sessions we had in March, April, May, and compare them to the last two we've had, they've gone from sort of uh, a bunch of lost souls trying to figure out what to do with the world to we're actually doing it. We're actually helping and supporting each other get through this, get the sales, determine our new business plans, and, and overcome this. And that's been a real positive thing, I think, that we've gotten out of this. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm happy to hear that you've derived a lot of value from it and that you've been growing and that, you know, it's a I journey. I love what you guys are doing. You're doing a good thing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. Our final guest for today's episode is Trevor Lane. Trevor is the founder and CEO of LexAlign, a risk management company for financial institutions. LexAlign's goal is to remove the manual processes and lack of standardization that make it difficult for financial institutions to audit their network for compliance and the risk for fraud and money laundering. Trevor has a JD degree from Yale Law School and has provided regulatory advice and representation to companies in the financial services industry during his career. He led over 100 attorneys guiding major banks during the mortgage crisis when he first confirmed the need for LexAlign. Newchip's venture fellow and startup advisor, Fernando Moreno Cortina, spoke to Trevor about his entrepreneurial journey. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we kick it off with more specific questions, could you tell us a little bit more about how you ended up being the founder of a startup that is focused on managing risk, and specifically on crowd payments? Uh, could you also tell us a little bit more about your entrepreneurial journey? Sure, Fernando. Thanks, first of all, for having me. And it's a pleasure to be here and talking about uh, my journey and, and, and experience with NewChip. So the, the background, as you alluded to in the introduction for LexLine, was my work as an attorney for major financial institutions, starting in the mortgage crisis, but then also extending after that and working with fintech companies. And what I noticed was um, I kept confronting a two-sided information problem that was severely limiting innovation and competition in financial services and by extension, most 
heavily regulated sectors. And that is that financial institutions, the, the major party in the relationship, um, carry a lot of risk when it comes to working with small and medium-sized businesses. Um, what we've seen, um, what we've seen is, is that these small businesses are handling more and more tasks that are highly regulated and create risk, but the risk doesn't shift from the financial institutions. And the basic underlying problem is that the financial institutions don't have an efficient way to monitor and see how the small businesses are handling their activities, whether it's customers, vendors, or partners. And this, these small, medium-sized businesses don't necessarily understand the rules, risks, and responsibilities applicable to them, or even how to get the information they need. Mm -hmm. And that's what I saw, that there was a need for an automated tool because manual processes for solving this were woefully inadequate in a digital banking era. Yeah, awesome. And specifically, what problem is LexAlign solving for their clients right now? So to, to help under, explain that, it helps to understand that um, one way to look at the financial technology revolution is that technology has enabled the migration of high-risk, highly regulated activities from within the bank's controlled environment to the location, the business location of small and medium businesses. We saw that on the vendor side during the mortgage crisis when the businesses that were handling the foreclosures, property management, collections, and the like, um, created a number of issues for banks because of non-compliance with technical state, local, and federal laws that protect consumers. And we've seen that ever since then in the incredibly uh, rising levels of payments fraud that is attacking customers, small and medium-sized business customers of financial, uh, financial institutions who are handling their own um, check deposit or ACH or wire transfers and don't necessarily understand the risks, the rules, and the responsibilities that go with those activities, and banks don't have an effective way to monitor and support their customers at the scale and at the distance that's required. So that's the problem that Lexlon is handling by automating a basic expert manual process that both diagnoses and, and supports small and medium businesses in their processes and activities and sophistication, and at the same time, um, reveals to the financial institution where its risks lie across a network of customers so that they can, their risk management becomes proactive, targeted, scalable, and ultimately routine. Thanks. And also, I, I wanted to mention that LexAlign is part of the uh, Accelerator program. So you have been doing fundraising through directly with venture capitalists and also participating in Demo Day. In these activities, what were the biggest challenges you faced when fundraising for your company, Trevor? I see the biggest challenge that we faced recently, and especially during the program, was that it happened to coincide with the COVID um, shutdown. And that caused um, the first cohort that we were really targeting for early stage financing, and those are individuals and angels, to, to really decide to sit on the sidelines during this time and wait to see how things shook out. And so we'd had to adjust and, and focus more on, on VCs and, and um, corporate VCs during the program. And I think, I think that was the major challenge that we had is adjusting to the COVID era and the fact that this, the funding sources that we had targeted going into the program ultimately were, was not gonna be productive, not just for us, but for 
for most companies. And then trying to find the right institutions that, um, that could understand what we were doing, that understood the magnitude of the problem that we were solving and, and, and the magnitude of the opportunity. Um, and I, I would say that we have been helped, particularly in participating in the demo days. Um, the virtual demo days that we participated have, have generated some interest. And we have gotten some great introductions through those. And so we're very appreciative of that. Uh, you just talked about how the COVID-19 situation affected your fundraising process. Could you tell us a little bit more if, uh, uh, if the COVID-19 situation affected your internal processes and your company and also the connection you have with your clients? I would say it did because, um, you know, as a fintech company, we sell to banks and in the COVID and the early months of the COVID era, banks became incredibly preoccupied with helping their SMB clients stay, stay alive and shift to a remote working situation um, where they themselves, their business was, was dropping off. And so they had a number of problems. Those businesses had a number of problems, um, meaning their, their credit requirements, et cetera, and also learning how to work remotely. Um, And so what we saw is that, that a lot of the banks from small to, to, to the largest really became internally preoccupied with um, helping their customers and then processing the, the SBA loans, the, the PPP program that the federal government um, issued. And so that, that um, caused a lot of institutions to kind of go dark on us. At the same time, it, it helped institutions understand, financial institutions understand how we could be helpful in a remote working environment and how it helps to automate processes, particularly processes that involve otherwise visiting customer sites or interacting with them live. And so we have received a lot more high level interest from major financial institutions and have capitalized on that to get a number of of conversations going with, with some of the largest financial institutions. So I think it's, it's been mixed. I think um, the net effect might become positive because um, the crisis has caused businesses generally, but we've seen particularly financial institutions to, to understand the importance of technology going forwards and working with their customers remotely. And the PPP program has certainly helped um, financial institutions Um, bolster their balance sheets with funding, and we foresee that a lot of those financial institutions are going to want to spend on technology. So this could be a good time going forwards, provided that we survived. And its survival has really been the name of the game for fintechs in the last few months, and we have certainly had to um, cut back on, on our assets and, and on our spending in order to do that. Absolutely. Thank you. And specifically, I wanted to ask you as Uh, a founder that is almost done with the accelerator program. Do you have any advice for companies that are about to enter the accelerator program or are considering applying to it? Sure. I, I think there's a, there's a huge value in the accelerator program that's only going to grow over time. Um, I think even in the time that we were in the accelerator, we saw, we saw rapid improvements and growth in the platform. And I would say the value is really in, in engaging with it. Um, not just the passive learning that you can do, but, but actually engaging with the team, engaging with the, the mentors and others who are leading the conversations and with your fellow um, fintech entrepreneurs who are engaged on those meetings, but the, the actual new chip staff, because the actual new chip staff is, are 
have a very important role as a go-between um, for on the one side, the companies that are in the accelerator, on the other side, the, um, the VCs and, and other ent um, individuals and entities that are, that are looking to be introduced to interesting companies. And, and you never know who you're gonna meet. And so I would say, you know, en engage with it, engage with the, the staff, the new chip staff as much as possible. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Uh, Trevor, thank you so much for joining us today. And it was great having you here. And uh, hopefully we will see you in, in next episodes. Yeah, thank you so much, Fernando. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Accelerate podcast by NewChip. If you want to learn more about how we're helping founders to fund their rounds, build their businesses, and meet other CEOs, all while keeping 100% ownership in their companies, check us out at newchip.com. We hope you'll join us next time on Accelerate.